are you most looking for in a church? And I mean that question very honestly. Now, a lot of you are covenant members, and so we've met. I know what you're looking for, but a number of you I don't know very well. Maybe you're, you're a guest or you're just kind of a, a tender. And so I haven't had a conversation with you. I honestly don't know, but I can tell you this. Every one of us is looking for something in a church. If you're here today, then that's because you're looking for something. Now, some of you maybe are looking for very contemporary music. Maybe some of you think, man, I wish you had more traditional music. Some of you maybe are looking for really great preaching that won't make you fall asleep. Like you're looking to not fall asleep on a Friday morning. Maybe you're looking for a great children's ministry which is a big part of our church, a lot of young families, and so that's a very common thing people to look for. Others are looking for a place to belong. They're in Abu Dhabi. They're far from friends and family, so they want to connect and want to have friends. And so they go to church looking for relationships, for friendships. Let me ask a different question that's very similarly related. What do you most value in a church, when you think about being part of a faith family, what do you most value? And by the way, those things that I mentioned just a minute ago are not, are not bad things. But let me ask you an even better question for us to contemplate this morning. What is God looking for in a church? What does God value most in a church? It's a little bit different, isn't it, when we think about what is God looking for us to be as opposed to what we sometimes can approach church as though we're consumers and we're trying to find what we're looking for. Like my wife went for the first time yesterday to the Yasmal Giant, and she says, I'm never going back there again because she couldn't find what she was looking for. She's not familiar with this new giant literally giant, giant store in Yaz Mall, this giant new mall, and you go in and you're not familiar with what you're looking for as a, as a shopper, as a consumer, so you get frustrated. And that can be any of us, where we can very subtly approach church like the giant, like we're trying to find something that we're, we're, we're shopping for. But it's much better for us to ask the question, well, what is God looking for us to be? Today we begin a new series, not a long one, a four-week series. We focus in on a word called renewal. Series is called renewal, becoming the church that God intends us to be. And so we want to become that church that God intends. And, and my prayer this next few weeks as we begin to consider on this topic of renewal and what should our church look like and how can we be the church that God intends us to be, my prayer has been and will be for this next few weeks that we will truly experience renewal, that we will have a renewed, a new and a fresh breath of God's spirit in our midst, in our lives, that we would have a a renewed and a rekindled passion for Jesus and for his gospel and for his kingdom's sake. May we truly, as a faith family, experience spiritual renewal. Only possible when we become that church that God wants us to be. 
And as we begin this series, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 21. And so as we begin this series, let's begin reading God's Word, because anything that I have to say, if it's not coming from God's Word, then it just really doesn't matter. It's not worth very much. So let's begin reading in Ephesians 3. The text is from verses 7 through end of the chapter, verse 21. Apostle Paul writes as the Spirit inspires him. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Praise God. Reading His Word truly does feed our souls. Let's identify the primary truth from this text so that it can then govern all that we're going to hear and say this morning. So the main idea, the truth from this text, the primary one is, It's on the screens that the church is designed to be a display of God's glory. So when you read Ephesians 3, 7 through 21, what's being revealed there is that the church is designed to be a display of God's glory. Now, from that primary truth, we're going to answer two primary questions. So two key questions from this text that we can better understand how this applies to our lives today as we follow Jesus. So the first key truth, Question number one is, how? So how is a church a display of God's glory? And so we're seeing that this is revealed, the church is a display of God's glory. The first question is, well, how? How exactly does a church display the glory of God? Let me give you the context, the biblical context. You have to go back to the beginning with Genesis chapter 1 and work your way through. We'll do it somewhat briefly, but if you don't have the context, then this does not make much sense. You see, long before the universe existed, there was God. Long before there were galaxies, long before there were stars, planets, oceans, continents, trees, grass, 
animals or even humans, long before anything existed, there was God. And this one and only magnificent God made all of creation for much the same reason that an, art, an, an artist will then create a masterpiece. Why do, why do painters paint? Why, why do artists create masterpieces? Because it brings them pleasure. Because they enjoy it. Out of the overflow of what's in them, out of the goodness of God's heart, overflowed a desire to create, much like an artist desires to enjoy in creating, because we've been made in God's image to do that. And so our God delights in his creation. He created it for the pleasure of it. It brings him joy. It makes God happy to create. And he finds great pleasure in displaying this glory of his to this creation that he made. Now, within all of creation, God delights and God truly enjoys his creation. But in all of creation, the masterpiece is not trees, it's not mountains, it's not the galaxies, it's not supernovas. The masterpiece of God's creation, look in the mirror and you will see the masterpiece. Humankind, you, people, we are his masterpiece. We are the crowned jewel of creation. Nothing else in creation bears the image of God. Only humans have that highest privilege and joy is to reflect God. So we resemble him. We mirror God. We are designed to reflect his glory, much like a son will follow in his father's professional footsteps. Humans have been designed by God to represent God's character and to rule over creation as his sons and daughters, like father like son. And so humans are uniquely made in God's image so that we can then display the glory of God to the universe, to all of creation. That is what we do. That is why we exist, to be a mirror that reflects God in all of his eternal perfections. But the problem is that every one of us is sinful. Because of our sin, Far more often, we fail to display God's glory. More frequently, we distort God's glory. And we do every day. Which is why God himself, the eternal second member of the Trinity, God himself became a human. And so Jesus is the perfect image of God. And so in his Life of perfect obedience, Jesus imaged God perfectly as a human. And so he redeemed the image of God with his perfect life. He reflected it, and then he redeemed it with his death on the cross, the perfect sacrifice. And so Jesus came to redeem, to restore humans to the rightful ability to reflect God's image. And so if you want to see what God is like, look to Jesus. He perfectly displays God's image. And so we, 
who have the Holy Spirit because of Christ's work on the cross, we are then being restored to the image of God. And one day when your salvation is complete, after you die and are resurrected and are in heaven forever and you'll have a glorified body, you will then perfectly restore or perfectly reflect the image of God. It'll be restored. And so that's going to happen one day. We'll perfectly reflect God. And it's, it's beginning right now. And so, yes, the, the completion is coming one day, but now we already have a taste of this. And this in the book of Ephesians, one chapter earlier, chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, when we were dead and our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him. And so in our sin, Jesus came and died because of God's great mercy. And we were dead and now we're made alive and raised up. So if you're here in this room and you have repented and believed in Jesus alone for your salvation, you have experienced a spiritual resurrection. You are alive spiritually. And if you're here and if you're rejecting who Jesus is, then I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. But God's word says that you have not been resurrected spiritually. And that spiritually you're dead. But that can change today. If you repent and believe in Jesus, you'll experience his resurrection. You'll have his spirit and great joy. And then God's image will begin to be restored in your life. And every day, the work of his spirit, more and more, you begin to reflect the image of God. More and more, it's being restored. And more and more, you're able to be like Jesus. And you begin to conquer old habits. And you begin to love your wife more. And you're more honest. And you follow more laws when you're driving. We begin to have the image restored so that we begin to look more like God. This is our purpose. This is why we've been created. It's to image God, to reflect His, to display His glory. And who is this? Who are these people that have been resurrected on the inside, that have His Spirit, that are having the image restored, that have this privilege of displaying God's glory? Who are these people? The church. We're the church. That's who we are. The church is not a building. Hear me. This is not, this building is a restaurant. Come here this evening. You'll see a shisha hut. This is not the church. This is a building that by God's grace, we thank him that we can meet here. Who is the church? Look around. You'll see a beautiful gathering of people that are precious, that God loves, that he's redeemed, that he's restoring the image of God to. God has sent his son to die for them so that they can then be ambassadors and reflect His glory to the watching world. Who is the church? It's the people. The church is the people. Which is why I love meeting in a zoo. I love it. This might sound weird to you, but I actually love not having 
a proper, quote-unquote, building. I think it's good. It's a blessing because it reminds us what the church actually is. It's the people, not the building. The word church means gathering. It means assembly. The called out ones from the world who belong to God, who have been gathered. So the church means gathering. And so, we, so the church gathers on a Friday morning. But then after we're done gathering, what happens? We scatter. We're still the church, but we go about our lives every day, fulfilling the mission given to us by Jesus. But then we gather again, but then we scatter. We are the church, the people of God. So the church is the people who together display God's glorious character to the world. That's what we are. The church is the people who show God's character to a watching world. And so how can ECC Off-Island truly do this? How can ECC Off-Island be a display of God's glorious character to Abu Dhabi and then to other nations? And as we read, even to the angels in heaven, it's like there's this invisible world that's real, that's watching and just marveling at how God loves us. It's real. And we display God's character. And so that's what we see in Ephesians 3, is God has designed us to be this display of his glory. Let's look at the words more carefully. For example, in verse 7 that we just read, the Apostle Paul remembers that he was a murderous persecutor of God's people, of the church. And it says, by God's power and grace, he says, God's power and grace has transformed him to be a minister of the gospel. And so God's goodness changes us. And then in verse 8, he recognizes that he was the least of all, he says. He's like, I was the least of all. And so when we recognize how much God's forgiven us, it produces humility. When we get arrogant, when we look down on other people, think we're better than them, that shows that we don't understand God's grace towards us. We don't know how much we've been forgiven. And then to go back to the gospel and remember how much grace you've received. Paul so knew how much grace he had received that he says, I'm the least of all. And yet God used him mightily to accomplish his redemptive purposes, to proclaim the good news to those who were lost. And he says in verse 8 that he was called to do what? To preach. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, that was the Apostle Paul. That's what you're doing right now. And so to preach is what happens when the church gathers and one of the shepherds feeds the sheep from God's word. Well, that is true. And there is a word for that, caruso in the original language, that refers to this proclamation, this feeding that's happening right now. But that's not the word Paul uses here. The word is euangelion. It's evangelism. And so what he's talking about, you know, the evangel is the gospel. And so we talk about evangelism and sharing the gospel, sharing the good news. The word he uses here is the word for evangelism, which all of us need to do. And so when he says preach, he says go share the gospel. Go share the good news. We all should be doing this with our friends, our neighbors, co-workers. Starting at home with your children and work out from there with those around you. 
We're all called to do this, to evangelize, to preach every day, to just share the good news in our relationships, being intentional. Why? He says, because of the riches, this treasure of knowing Jesus. He says it's immeasurable. He says it's unsearchable. This, the, the, the value of knowing Jesus, of helping others to know him as well, he says it's unsearchable. It's immeasurable. Jesus is the treasure. He calls it riches here, worth more than anything else this world can offer. And then in verse 9, talks about this mystery. It's just a really cool word. He says there's this mystery that it was kind of hidden. That God had always had a plan to save people from all nations. And now it's no longer hidden. It's not a mystery. It's revealed. His name is Jesus. He has come and he's gathering his church of people to display his glory of all nations. And so we as a church have been entrusted with this mission, this gospel of helping others to know who God is, to experience the joy of serving him. Verse 10 and 11 summarize what the church is about so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Want to know what is the church for? What is the purpose of the church? Those two verses summarize it. The church is to display says God's manifold wisdom. Manifold is a big word. It just means multicolored or multi-sided. So think of a prism. A prism that's one prism but has lots of sides. And as you shine light into it, then the prism just bursts with colors. Multicolored, multi-sided. And so what you're seeing here is God's character, His glory is multi-dimensional, multi-faceted. God is holy and righteous and just and wise, and good. He has so many different parts of his character, and they're all perfect, and he is eternally glorious. So his manifold, multi-sided, multicolored glory and wisdom is revealed through you and me and this church. That's what we do. His wisdom his power, mercy, and grace, his whole character is revealed through our lives. So when people see how we live, when they see our church, they should see a glimpse of God. They see God's glory. And he calls it an eternal purpose. How you've had spiritually dead sinners that have been resurrected, who now have been transformed who now love, trust, and obey Jesus. This is a miracle. Left to ourselves, none of us would ever follow Jesus and give him glory. We want our own glory if it's left to ourselves. This shows God's wisdom. So the church is the gathering of people that want to see God's glory revealed. Verses 12 and 13 describe that those who have repented and believed in Jesus have salvation, have, it says, access. So now we have access to God. Now we can know God. We can experience Him. So whatever you're going through, and you mentioned suffering in verse 13. So even if you're suffering today, you still have access to God. You still have hope. You still have hope. And that's who the church is. We're the ones that offer hope. If we offer anything, it's hope. 
to those who were lost without Jesus, that there is hope. There is eternity awaiting us, and we'll be with Christ forever. We can taste forgiveness and redemption and freedom. We offer hope. Back to our key question that we're talking about here. So how is the church a display of God's glory? Let me give you the answer from this text here. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, we reflect the character of God to the universe. And so how do we do this? Through the Spirit working in us and helping us, we begin to display God's character. People see what God is like as they see how we live. And that's what ECC Off Island should be. A group of people that are so gripped by God's grace that we naturally just display it for others to see. Verses 14 and 15, Paul is just considering how magnificent God is and how God has entrusted him to share God's love with others and how apart from God we're lost hopelessly. And how does he respond? He says, I bow my knees before the Father. Paul's response to God's grace was adoration and just praising God. And so worship is the natural response of having received grace. When we recognize God's grace towards us, we naturally just, we bow our knees before the Father. We've tasted his goodness. And so if we're not bowing our knees, if, if, if that's not happening, you have to ask the question, well, why not? We probably have not been truly gripped by this gospel message or Jesus himself. We're being influenced by other things that have our attention. And so we're not responding with bowing our knees before the Father. He prays. What you're seeing here is Paul is actually praying for the church in Ephesus. And verses 16 through 21 capture a just remarkable prayer how he's interceding for his brothers and sisters. And what he's praying for is that they be a healthy church that can then display God's glory. And so how should a church, how can a church be healthy so that she can accomplish her task of displaying God's glory? This prayer reveals it. Second key question. So how can our church be healthy? Right here in the zoo. How can our church be healthy? Because if we're healthy, then we're going to display God's glory. If we're not healthy, then we won't. There are four characteristics from this prayer that we'll look at here somewhat briefly. Important, but still somewhat briefly. And so the first characteristic of a church that is truly healthy, number one, it's empowered by the Spirit. So a healthy church is empowered by the Spirit. That's what we're seeing here in verse 16. Paul prays for the church, and he says that you be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So a healthy church, it's people that are empowered by God's spirit. Well, empowered for what? Empowered to do what? Two main things. Faithfulness in suffering and faithfulness to the mission. The spirit empowers us to be faithful in suffering. You see it in verse 13. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't pretend to know. But whatever you're going through, the Spirit of God wants to empower you, to sustain you, to give you the strength to keep going. He also gives us this faithfulness. He empowers us being faithful to the mission. We just saw in verse 8 through 11. 
of displaying his glory, preaching the gospel to those who don't know. He empowers our telling others. We read early in the worship gathering from Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 7. I'll read you a couple of verses from Isaiah 49. It says, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Here, this is 700 years before Jesus. And God is revealing that through my people, I will be glorified. He says, I will make you a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God's plan has always been for his people to display his glory so that other people will then come and experience the joy of knowing him. That's what we're here for. Our our mission is to glorify God by making and developing disciples. That's why we're here. And the Spirit empowers us. He helps us to do this eternal task. It's not exactly like, but it's similar to Frodo Baggins of the Shire. If you, if you follow Lord of the Rings, if you don't, well, you should, because it's awesome. Like Frodo Baggins in, in the third movie, Return of the King, when towards the end of this journey, Frodo was given this remarkable task of saving all of Middle Earth. He was given the task. He was the one that would carry the ring of power forged by Sauron in Mount Doom and the fires in Mordor. And he's carrying this weight, this heavy burden of this evil ring that causes people to have their their desires exposed and and to want power. And so J.R.R. Tolkien is capturing the gospel here. What he's showing is how our sin tempts us. And, And then we want to give in to it. And so you see Frodo, after 10 hours of film, he's... He's near death, exhausted, and dehydrated. And he's been stabbed by this huge spider. And he's been through so much. And then he just can't make it. And he can, he can see Mount Doom and Mordor in the horizon, but he collapses. And under the weight of the ring of power, he can't go a step further. And he falls down, and all hope is lost. It would seem as though Sauron is going to defeat, and he's going to conquer and evil is going to win the day and all hope seems over because Frodo just can't even get up anymore and what happens if you know you should know if you follow Lord of the Rings and you would know that the most beautiful the fairest of all the most powerful all the elves the royal Galadriel she telepathically speaks to Frodo who's burdened and defeated and she says to him This task was appointed to you, Frodo of the Shire. If you do not find a way, no one will. And she telepathically, spiritually, she grabs his hand and she picks him up. And then Frodo, who was down, he he gets picked up. With this inner being, he's picked up and he continues. And he does, despite himself, he is able to accomplish his task. And the ring of power is destroyed. And Middle Earth celebrates and there's no more sin and it's defeated. Granted, yes, that's fiction. But Tolkien is capturing the work of the Spirit who helps his people. Are you burdened today under the weight of your sin? 
Are you just near death exhausted, whether physically, emotionally, or spiritually? Do you feel like this task is just too much for you that you just can't even go one step further? And you think to yourself, I can't. This is just too much. This life has become overwhelming, and I can't go one more step. Well, maybe in your own power you can't. But that's the whole point of God's grace, that His Spirit picks you up and gives you the strength to continue on the journey to accomplish the task that was given to you by our King, our Master, Jesus, which is to glorify Him by making and developing disciples. And we do it together. And so if you're trying to do it in your own power, you will fail. Fail. He says here that we are empowered by the Spirit in our inner being. And so when you're facing temptation, let me just give you this. Stop. Before you give in to temptation, whatever it is for you, stop. And honestly, think. What are the implications if I give in to this temptation? What is it going to look like for my marriage, for my witness, for my children, for my life? What... What are the implications if I continue to give in to this temptation? And then pray. Beg God to help you. Don't give in. Pray. His Spirit will pick you up. He will give you supernatural strength. He'll sustain you. He will. He's promised to. But don't do it in your own power. None of us can. We're empowered by the Spirit in our inner being. And so what is the church? We are the people that share the Holy Spirit. The people who share the same mission. The people that have shared a lot for the gospel. We share, we share this reality. We share our experience of God. We share it. And the Spirit empowers us. And so a, a church that's healthy. So again, a truly Healthy church is one that is empowered by the Spirit. Number two, next characteristic here. Healthy church is surrendered to Christ. Healthy church is one, the people are surrendered to Christ. Verse 17 says, and Paul is praying, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, when you read the word dwell or live, don't think of a hotel where you go and you stay, check in and check out and leave. No, 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 no. The word dwell here refers to taking up residence, living there as the owner of that house. You own it, you dwell there, you belong there permanently. And so Paul is saying, may Christ dwell in your hearts. May he take up residence. May your heart not be a hotel where Christ comes, checks in, and then checks out. No, Jesus moves in. And he wants to clean up the house because he lives there. Jesus doesn't want to dwell in a house that's corrupted by sin. And so what does he do? Through the Spirit, he begins to clean it. Restore your image back to what it's supposed to be, to God's. How does this work? We yield to the Spirit. We submit to him. We are surrendered to him. So for it to be healthy individually and together, we have to all surrender to Christ. 
How do we do that? His word. We surrender to the authority of God's word. And so in this church, any authority that elders have is authority based upon God's word. The authority is God's word. He is the authority. And so we, what do we do as a church? We listen to God's word, and then we obey God's word. That's what we do. We submit to his authority. And so we share the church. We share the kingship of Jesus. He is my king. He is your king and your king and your king. We share that, that we all submit to his authority and that he dwells in us. Number three, a healthy church is grounded in the love of Christ. The church is grounded in the love of Christ. You see it in verses 17 and 19. He says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. God's love can't be measured. God's love for you can't even be measured. It's infinite. He can't love you more. He can't love you less. He loves you all that he can love you infinitely. Do you know why this is so important in the church that we be grounded in the love of Christ? When we know that God loves us, you know why this is so important? When I know that God loves me, that I'm accepted and loved by him, you know what it helps me do? To love you, and to serve you, and to forgive you. And it helps you be able to love and accept and forgive me. Because guess what I'm going to need from you? Grace. I need a lot of grace from those in this room, and you need grace as well. And knowing that God loves us gives us hope. It gives us the courage to get our hands dirty and to do the hard work of living with sinners. And so the church is, you know what we share? We're a family. We have the same father, so we're a family. And if you keep reading in the next paragraph, we won't today, the first paragraph in Ephesians chapter 4 describes unity in the church. It describes how we share God as Father, we share our spirit, we share one baptism, we share one faith, we share Christ as Lord, that we are one people together, a faith family. And so we maintain unity, we love each other, we forgive each other, we learn from each other, we're humble with each other. For to be a healthy church, we must maintain unity. And so we're seeing that here, the third one is we're grounded in the love of Christ. Number four, as we close, healthy church is filled with the presence of God. A church that's healthy is filled with his presence. It says in verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you have his spirit. He is in you. You cannot lose your union with Christ. You can't lose that. And yet, we can lose our communion with him. We can't lose our intimacy or our closeness. And so God's presence can be clouded in our lives if we're surrendering to sin instead of surrendering to Christ. And so habitual patterns of sin begins to cloud God's presence. Which is why on Friday mornings what we want is for you to come and gather with God's people and sense God's presence and then crave it, be hungry for it every other day of the week. And so worship gatherings are meant to be fueled 
fuel for this mission. We experience God's presence, and that propels us to want it more so that we're full of the fullness of God. Our souls are satisfied. We fight off our sin, empowered by the Spirit, accomplishing the mission of sharing the gospel. This is such a glorious purpose that he's given us the joy of being a part of. We're his ambassadors. And the last two verses summarize it. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power work within us, to him be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. May God's glory be revealed through this church. May every one of us be committed to being empowered by the Spirit daily drawing near to him. Maybe we committed to surrendering to Christ every day. May we be grounded in the love of Christ that leads us to love and accept and forgive others. And may we be filled with his presence every day, satisfied souls that are eager to accomplish his purposes for us. That's my heart's desire, that we display his glory together. Will you pray with me? Father, we are humbled that you would hear from us this morning as we pray to you, and we are humbled that you would speak to us. We praise you. We thank you for the joy of reading your word and having our souls fed from your word. Please, Father, we ask for renewal. We want to be the church that you intend. We want to be a healthy church. So we beg that you would help us. We need you. And we trust you to keep your spirit active among us so that we can see more fruit, more people trust in you, and more people grow in their faith. That's our heart's desire. And we ask that you would help us in the name of our King Jesus. Amen.